All right, welcome to Worldviews. I am Dr. Paul. I uh, will be with you here for the next few minutes talking about celebrating Christmas. Why do we do it? Why do Christians do it? You can call me and share your perspective at, uh, let's see, what's the number here? 605-562-0444 if you want to call in. And give me the reason why you are celebrating Christmas, if you do. Or maybe some reasons why you don't. 605-562-0444. And of course, there are other numbers there on your screen if you happen to be outside the United States and you want to call in and give me your perspective. Christmas is celebrated every year. We're going to be doing it here in the next four or five days. People are going to be gathering around the Christmas tree and giving gifts to each other. Probably forgetting what the real meaning of Christmas is about and not giving God the glory at all, period. So my question is, why are we doing this? Uh, A few years ago, I quit doing the Christmas scene simply because it didn't make any sense to me. And then the more I started digging into it, It made even less sense. You know, Christmas is not what it's often portrayed to be, which is the birth of Jesus and all this kind of stuff, Advent and whatever. It's not about that kind of a thing. Just take a look at some of the history. You know, Christmas really is about the power of the priest. And we'll see some of that here in a second. It's about the power of the priest. And re-sacrificing Jesus all over again. It's about hopelessness and despair and eternal torment. And you may be thinking, Paul, what are you talking about? And all of your so-called theological education, did you like flip a lid or something? Of course. You know, Christmas is about Jesus' birth and and uh, coming into the world as a Savior and the like. No, it's not. It's not any such thing. You know, when I was growing up and, you know, getting out of school when I was younger, that was what I looked forward to when it came to Christmas time, along with all the little goodies that I would get. And, of course, you know, you would give out some and feel good about that to a certain degree. But ultimately, it had nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. And when you take a look at the history and the doctrine, the theology behind it all, you see that it is not about Jesus' birth. So how did it get twisted into what we see today? Where churches, people, you know, that are Christians in churches, how did they twist this? from being a hopeless, full of despair, and ultimately eternal torment thing, when we start taking a look at the theology behind it, how did it get twisted into something that was totally the polar opposite? Where we've got not only a bad narrative about wise men and shepherds showing up at Jesus' cradle, to all, you know, this is the coming of the Messiah. Christmas is not about Advent, it's about exit. 
But somehow Christians have twisted this, and now I think because of all of the perversion that comes along with Christmas, it's been so commercialized now that people are just callous about it. You know, the day after Christmas is as big of an event as the day before and during Christmas. We don't want this gift, and we don't want that gift. So we go back and wait in line to exchange whatever the gift is for something better or maybe just the money itself. That's Christmas. But it starts with a perversion. Oh, but it's about Jesus' birthday. Great. Show me Christmas in the Bible. Where is Christmas found in the Bible? Because as a Christian... That ought to be your standard when it comes to evaluating anything, let alone Christmas. So if it's about Jesus' birthday, where is it in the Bible? Well, uh, it's, uh, well, it's over there in Matthew chapter 2, and they talk about you know, Jesus coming and, and, and uh, being born in a manger, and all of a sudden Herod makes threats and he runs and all this guy. That's not Christmas. That's Jesus' birthday. Uh, well, uh, it's, 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 it's the reason for the season. Yeah, Jesus is the reason for the season. Okay, great. Where is that in the Bible? Where is the reason for the season? What season are you talking about? Where is that in the Bible? What reason are you talking about? Oh, Jesus. Jesus is the reason for Christmas. No, it's not. If it is, show me in the Bible. I don't see that terminology anywhere. I can't draw an allusion to it or a conclusion from it. Where's it at? If you know, tell me, show me. The uh, number once again, 605-562-0444. Show me where it's at. If you're a Christian and you think that Christmas is about the reason or Jesus is the reason for the season, then point that to me out in the Bible. Well, Paul, you got to relax because, okay, I can't, can't show you from the Bible that it's Jesus is the reason for the season. It, you just have to be in the, in the spirit of Christmas. Great. Where is that in the Bible? Where is the spirit of Christmas in the Bible? If you're a Christian, show me. If you can show me, I'll, I'll give, a, give it up right now, and I'll go back to doing it the, the way I used to do it, handing out gifts left and right to, to people and taking them in. That's Jesus' birthday, by the way. You know, because it's Jesus' birthday, I get the gifts. Really? That's I, I, strange. What if we did that with your birthday. It's your birthday, and I decide to give a gift to somebody else. Or I decide to take your gift from you and give it to me. See how cockeyed this whole thing is? None of this is in the Bible. Not any of it. Not, not this whole idea that Christmas, is, uh, Christmas equates to Jesus' birth. It's a reason for the season. I mean, you could go on endlessly with some of the things that I've heard about Christmas, and you're not going to find any of it in the Bible. Well, if it's not in the Bible, then why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? 
we're supposed to be Christians are supposed to have a a transfer a transformed mind. What it says over in Romans chapter twelve. Well, if that's the case, then why aren't we doing it when it comes to Christmas? Why are we still going along with the age-old tradition? 605-562-0444. Let me know. I think it's just because we are sucked into this by religious tradition. And we have gotten so far away from the Bible that we can't defend it. And because now we have been guilted into doing it year after year after year, or we seem to be slighted in some way because we're not getting something this time of the year, it's so ingrained in us that we can't break the habit. We keep adding things to it, which is really what Christmas is, is a a menagerie, a conglomeration of all kinds of just silliness pagan beliefs and ideas. We throw it all together, throw Jesus in the mix, and out comes Christmas. And we start doing it, and then we start equating that to what the Bible has to teach about him. And kind of like in an Old Testament type of way, when God continually warned Israel about becoming entwined or getting mixed up following all of the idols of the nations that were around them, or in the promised land before they went in to conquer the land, it became a snare. And I think we're ensnared as a Christian church by all of this, by the idols, by the idolatry, and we can't break it. We almost go into withdrawal if we don't participate in all the rigmarole that's involved with Christmas. You see, Christmas actually comes from an old, well, two old English words, Christes and Mas. But the literal meaning is the festival of the Mass of Christ. But what does that mean? Most, most people don't give that a second thought on it. What, what does that mean? Festival Mass of Christ. That's because it's a Roman Catholic idea. And Roman Catholicism, as I saw, was explained earlier today by a Roman Catholic priest when he was trying to elaborate on what Christmas was about, starting back about shortly thereafter, the time of Constantine, back in the 300s. You know, back at that time when Constantine basically opened the door for the Roman Empire to approve of Christianity as the official state religion, not for the sake of believing that it was the truth, but for the sake of keeping the empire going. And in come all of the religious paganistic ideas about whatever, and it became that kind of bastardized form of Christianity that has been carried on ever since. The problem, though, is that not so much that, you know, all of the little nuances and little pagan ideas about laurel leaves and, or not necessarily laurel leaves, but but, uh, 
the Christmas tree and the, all the garland. That's what I mean, garland and and, and uh, uh, the candy stripes and all all of that junk. It's not. That's not necessarily. I mean, that's a problem, but that's not the real. That the big problem. The big problem is the theology that came in with it. That's where we have the major problem here. That's what's being left out of the explanation here. Because you see, the priest, this faux priesthood of Roman Catholicism, really becomes the the, the centerpiece of Christmas, and what he what happens during Christmas, or at least allegedly according to Roman Catholic theology. That's really what Christmas is about. And because of this lording over of the person of Jesus by the Roman Catholic priest, most people don't even know that that is the basis for the thing they're going to participate in the next few days. It's blasphemy. It's heretical. It's just downright satanic. You may be going, well, whoa. Paul, like I said, if you left the deep end, no. If you think Christmas is something else and you got a reason why you're celebrating Christmas, other than what I've advocated here or talked about here a second ago, and what I'm going to talk about in more detail here shortly, I'd love to hear from you. 605 562 0444 as we talk about why Christians are doing Christmas. Now I say I said biblical what I mean is biblical Christians. Lots of people claim to be Christians and they're not. I'm talking about you out there who might get up, read your Bible at least maybe once a week claim to be born again, claim to be filled with the Spirit. I'm talking to you. If you're doing Christmas, I would love to know why. Ladies and gentlemen, know I, last week I had plugged a book that I had written on Mormonism. But there's also another book that I have written. It's called The Trinity, Explained and Defended. In it, I go through a basic Christian doctrine that is the foundation for many of the beliefs that we have about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity. In the book itself, I give you critical arguments against the Trinity, at least by non-believers, as well as biblical evidence for it, and then I examine some of the faulty analogies. You can find the book over at Amazon. It's not expensive. I think it's and it will help to equip you to defend what you claim to believe as a Christian. Pick up a copy today. Learn how to defend the Trinity, and by doing that, you will be able to defend what you claim to be as a Christian. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Well, I hope not. <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. 
Really? What does Christmas look like? Well, from a theological point of view, it's not what you think that it is. Like I said, come Christmas morning, people are going to be underneath or they're going to be uh, around, not necessarily underneath the Christmas tree. They're going to be gathered around the Christmas tree, handing out gifts and left and right. Everybody's going to be merry, going to be hand, handing out apple cider and the whole nine yards. Oh, it's what's beginning to look like Christmas. You look outside, there's snow on the ground, and oh, it's just lovely. And then after we get done opening our, our gifts and everything, well, we might sit around and watch a football game, gather up the mess, put it in the trash, fill up the dumpsters and the whole nine yards, and then we're going to be bored to death. But that's not Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. Christmas is about the death of Jesus. It's about the Roman Catholic priest usurping power over the person of over the person of Jesus, commanding him to come back to the Roman Catholic altar and be crucified again. In a book that was written and is quoted over and over and over by Roman Catholics, by John A. O'Brien, who's a Roman Catholic theologian at Notre Dame. He explains the Mass, because this is Christ Mass. He explains the Mass in this way. It is the supreme power of the priestly office. He's, he's talking about the priest here to start with. It is the supreme power of the priestly office is the power of consecrating. No act is greater, says St. Thomas Aquinas, than the consecration of the body of Christ. In this essential phase of the sacred ministry, the power of the priest is not surpassed by that of the bishop, the archbishop, and the cardinal, or the pope. Indeed, it is equal to that of Jesus Christ, for in this role, the priest speaks with a voice of authority of God himself. Christmas is about priestly power. And what does the priest do? When the priest announces the tremendous words of consecration, he reaches up into the heavens and brings Christ down from his throne and places him upon our altar to be offered up again as the victim for the sins of man. It is a power greater than that of monarchs and emperors. It is greater than that of the saints and angels, greater than that of the seraphim and cherubim, the angels that ruled or abided over the holy seat in the holy of holies. The priest brings or orders Jesus Christ out of heaven to be sacrificed again on the Roman Catholic altar. Sisters and brothers, pray now that my sacrifice and yours will become acceptable to God, our Almighty Father. And Lord, accept the sacrifice at our hands for the praise and glory of his name for our good good of all his holy church. That was uh, Father Richard Erickson of St. Mary's in Winchester, Massachusetts, doing the Mass just a few days ago. Because you see, when it comes to 
Roman Catholicism. It's not just about doing it once a year. Christ Mass happens every day. And the Roman Catholic priest brings him down to the altar to sacrifice him again. O'Brien goes on, he says, indeed, it is even greater. This power that the, the Roman Catholic priest supposedly possesses, it's even more powerful than the Virgin Mary. While the Virgin Mary was the human agency by which Christ became incarnated a single time, the priest brings Christ down from heaven and renders him present on our altar as the eternal victim for the sins of man. Not once, but a thousand times. The priest speaks, Lo, Christ, the eternal, omnipotent God, bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command. That's Christmas. It's the Roman Catholic priest ordering Jesus to be crucified again. And again. And again. O'Brien goes on to say, Oh, what sublime dignity is the office of the Christian priest who is thus privileged to act as the ambassador and the vice-regent of Christ on earth! Exclamation point. He continues, The essential ministry of Christ. He teaches the faithful with the authority of Christ. He pardons the penitent sinner with the power of Christ. He offers up again the same sacrifice of adoration and atonement which Christ offered on Calvary, no wonder that the name which spiritual writers are especially fond of applying to the priest is that that of altar Christus. For the priest is and should be another Christ. The Roman Catholic priest is acting as another Christ sacrificing Jesus, if that makes any sense. That is Christmas. That is Christ Mass. That is something that is completely left out of the conversation when we're talking about this time of the year. And Christians, blood-bought, born-again Christians all across The United States and the world are caught up in this. Handing out their favorite gifts to whoever. And going through all of the the plays and the performances. Saying, you know what, we're just waiting for the advent of Jesus. We're celebrating that Jesus was born as a baby in in, in, in a manger. This is what we're celebrating. Really? Then you're not celebrating Christmas. You're celebrating something else. In fact, you're celebrating something that Jesus never commanded to do. Otherwise, show me. Where does it say in the Bible? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Celebrate my birthday. Where did he say that? He didn't. Instead, He talks about the Last Supper as one of the sacraments of the church. Do 
that in remembrance of me. Breaking of the bread, giving out of the wine. It was about Jesus' death, remembering it. But even the Roman Catholics in that respect have perverted that as well. As is evidenced by what Mr. O'Brien just said here. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, it's about his death and resurrection. That's what Christmas is. We don't stop and think about that, though, but you know, we get caught up in it, and when you start thinking through what the Mass is about, this power of the priesthood ordering Jesus to come back and be crucified again, that has eternal consequences. It has theological implications in the sense that it basically is telling, telling us that Jesus and God and the Bible, they're liars and it's a lie. Because the Bible says that Jesus was offered up once for the sins of the many. Not many times, much less a thousand times. And Jesus never gave the power of the priesthood over to a bunch of human beings. Because you see, there's only one last priesthood. That's the Melchizedek. And Jesus holds that by himself. There is nobody else that could hold that office. And when you take a look at the Roman Catholic priesthood, it's not Levitical. It's not from the tribe of Aaron. It's just kind of made up. They don't perform the Old Testament sacrifices. In fact, they don't perform any sacrifices at all. In fact, when they talk about the Mass here, it has to do with bloodlessness. There's no blood sacrifice here. And the Bible makes it perfectly clear. If there is no blood during this sacrifice, there's no forgiveness. And yet we have O'Brien saying here that the priest is able to pardon the penitent sinner with the power of Christ. Really? How do you do that? when there is no blood sacrifice, and when Jesus has offered the final one. You find this over in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, which, you know, I really found interesting when I was listening to the Mass earlier today performed by this father I just quoted here a second ago. They quoted Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 28. For Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us all. Nor was it that he should offer himself often. As the high priest enters the holy place year by year with the blood, not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men once to die, that's usually quoted to let people know you're not going to live a reincarnated life, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered up once 
to bear the sins of many shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. You know, it's amazing. They were reading this text and then believing, you know what, we're going to sacrifice him again and again and again. A thousand times, according to O'Brien. And this is what all the Roman Catholic priests believe. They are going to crucify Jesus again. That's Christmas. It's a lie. But you see, what happens so many times, whether it's this or in other aspects of you know, of Christianity, we'll put it that way, it's, it's this blending of half-truths and outright lies, and people swallow it look, uh, hook, line, and sinker, and they go along with the tradition of it all. Well, let's hand out gifts to each other, and Santa Claus gets, re, gets introduced in there, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and Frosty the Snowman, and God knows who else. Like I said, Christmas itself is just a conglomeration of all kinds of pagan heresies. if you disagree with what I'm saying here. Where am I off? If you can explain to me what the biblical precedence is for celebrating Christmas, especially after what I've just read here a second ago, that this Advent, this whole idea behind Christmas is not about Jesus coming as a baby in the manger, but his exit, and the Roman Catholic priests power over him to sacrifice him again, I'd love to hear it. In uh, 2019, I have another book that's coming out. It's called Muhammad and Joseph Smith's Spiritborn Brothers. In three parts, 15 chapters, six appendices, and over 400 pages, I document how these two characters are spirit-born, but not of the spirit that you think that it is. I talk, I talk about the spiritual parallels, the revelational parallels, the relational parallels, in exhausting detail. Now, you can get a copy of this by pre-ordering with St. Polycarp Publishing House, contacting a uh, gentleman there, the publisher by the name of Aaron Sims. He'd be, he'd be glad to hear from you. He's taking orders now. You can contact him by visiting the St. Polycarp Publishing House website at stpolycarppublishinghouse.com. He can probably get you a pretty good deal on that as well. Learn about Islam and Mormonism from a perspective you've never fathomed before. Now, back to our uh, discussion about Christmas. Why Christmas? Why, why Christians are participating in this? 605-562-0444 is the number here if you would like to participate. If you'd like to just let me know your perspective on this. Why are you doing the Christmas thing? Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, 
Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Uh, it's not snowing in Texas and probably won't. <laughs> and besides that, we have global warming. So how can it, uh, you know, let it, how can you let it snow when it's, you know, 75 degrees outside and the polar ice, you know, is collapsing, you know, at monumental rates? We probably won't have Christmas next year. I'm kidding, of course. No, that's the kind of what you uh, hear as far as some of the rationale for those who participate in Christmas. You know, it's that time of the year. Let us know, let us know, let us know. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Oh, give me a break. What I don't even know what that looks like. Why are you doing Christmas if you're a Christian? That's really the ultimate question I want to know. As I've gone through the details here, it's, it's about... You know, the Roman Catholic Mass, that's really the derivation of the word. It's an old English word, but it's Roman Catholics that have developed it. It has nothing to do with Jesus' birth. It has nothing to do with the reason for the season. It's done on a daily basis by the Roman Catholics. We, we assume that Christmas is only a, a one-time occurrence during the year around September, the, or not September, December the 25th. No, they do it every day. This is just kind of a uh, maybe a, a special occasion when the you know the Roman Catholics can put on a show. You may be saying you hate Roman Catholics. I don't hate anybody. I have Roman Catholic friends. Some of my best friends are Roman Catholics. This has to do with aberrant belief. I care for their very souls. Because truth matters. And the only place you're going to find the absolute truth about Christmas, Jesus, sin, salvation, God himself, is in his Bible. Now, you're not going to find Christmas there because I asked before, where is it at? You're not going to find that in there. And that ought to tell you something right there about the erroneousness of this doctrine. This has nothing to do with me hating Catholics. It's Roman Catholicism. This aberration, this what Jesus would call false prophesying false teaching that we're supposed to be aware of, especially when they're talking about the person of Jesus himself and a human being lording it over Jesus himself. Now, earlier I had commented about the power of the priest. O'Brien talks about the power of the mass. In fact, in his same book here called The Faith of Millions, on the Mass itself, because this is Christ Mass. On the very first page where he's talking about the Mass, it's a reenactment of Calvary. You know that place where Jesus was crucified? Christ is sacrificed again. That's a subtitle in bold letters. That's what the Mass is. It's not about the Advent. It's not about candles and wise men and camels coming down the aisles in your church. It's about crucifixion of Jesus all over again. 
Well, Brian says, the Mass is the renewal and perpetuation of the sacrifice of the cross in the sense that it offers anew to God the victim of Calvary and thus commemorates the sacrifice of the cross, reenacts it symbolically and mystically, and applies the fruits of Christ's death upon the cross to individual human souls. You know, I read that like I said before. It's like saying the Bible is a lie because when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he didn't say, you know, just go, go, go do this again. Put me back on the cross because once wasn't enough. Well, if once wasn't enough, ladies and gentlemen, this whole thing that we talk about, resurrection and atonement and forgiveness of sins is bogus. And if it wasn't completed the first time, how can it be done, in the words of O'Brien, a thousand times? It never could. And it never will. O'Brien says, The sacrifice of the Mass is offered up for the same ends for which Christ died on the cross. Namely, to propitiate God Almighty for the sins of man, to render homage, praise, and thanksgiving for his benefits, and to supplicate him for the graces and blessings. Really? And you want to celebrate Christmas? You want to tell me, or tell God, that we're going to do it all over again. Jesus, the first time, wasn't good enough. Even though the Bible says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest... And he, there's only one, ladies and gentlemen, not just, just one. There can't be multiple ones. There's only one because he's after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek literally means my king is right. And there can only be one king. But it says in Hebrews 9, 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest for the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. One time was enough. Not multiple times. There's no reenactment. There's no one that could stand in as another Christ, as the Roman Catholic Stanley the priest is, and can redo this all over again symbolically to somebody else. This is where it just becomes ridiculous. Because O'Brien says, for Christ is offered up on the altar as truly as he was on Calvary's cross. Now, how that could be when it's just symbolism and mysticism, that doesn't, I don't understand that one. How is that even possible? Was Jesus' death on the cross some symbolic act, some figure of whatever from wherever? I don't think so. He was a real, living, breathing human being who was God incarnate that gave his perfect sacrifice to atone for you and I. And it can't be replicated. That's what the Bible says. But O'Brien says the Mass is more valuable than any prayer.
It is the supreme offering which the creature is able to return to the creator. As if it's like, okay, I've got something to give you, Lord, that you couldn't give to me. It's supreme until you do it again tomorrow. And then it's supreme all over again. See how how ridiculous this is? But we want to talk about Christmas. Let's give some gifts to each other. And sit sit around and sing carols and talk about Jesus as, as a little baby in the manger. Because that makes us feel good. Well, I don't know who's telling the bigger lie then. The Christian who is trying to turn Christmas into something that it's not, or the Roman Catholic priest who's telling you something that is totally impossible and contrary to what the Bible teaches. Who's the bigger liar here? But we just sit around and smile. We don't say a thing about it. In fact, in fact, I would say, ladies and gentlemen, in 40 years of going to church, Bible college, seminary, earning a few degrees along the way, nobody has ever talked about it. Nobody's talked about what the real meaning of Christmas is. We just go through the machinations. And we have this staring us right in the eyes. The Mass is the very heart of Catholic worship. Now, I would say that's, of all the things that O'Brien had to say, that is absolutely true. It's the heart of of, of Catholic worship. If that's the case, you need to stick a fork in it and kill it. Because it's an absolute heresy. It's telling us Jesus didn't do enough on the cross to atone for man's sins. So we're gonna we're gonna make a we're gonna re-sacrifice him again back to God and say, here it is. This is this is our sacrifice to you, God. Well, I'm sure God is not going to be impressed. Because it was within God's plan initially to have Christ sacrifice one time for the, for the sins of mankind and abrogating all of the, the priestly duties of the past. The Bible makes it clear that those laws and ordinances of the like weren't going to be enough. They didn't perfect anyone. In fact, Hebrews 9.17 says, I just started 18, for on the one hand, there's a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weaknesses and, and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the sacrificial laws of the blood of bulls and goats. It wasn't enough. That's why Jesus came. And with the new covenant, that did away with all of that. We don't have to keep doing it over and over and over. Jesus paid it all, period, end of story. And if that's the case, then we don't need to be celebrating this nonsense called Christmas. Because that is what Christmas is about. It is redoing Calvary, by the words of the words I've been just reading here this whole time. It's a reenactment of Calvary. O'Brien goes on to say the Council of Trent thus summarizes the church's teaching at the Mass. Oh, by the way, like I said, if if you disagree 
somewhere along the line here, and you have something you want to enlighten me about that I'm not reading <laughs> right from, from O'Brien, a Roman Catholic theologian's own book that millions of Catholics you know, ascribe to, I'd love to hear from you. 605-562-0444. 605-562-0444. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct Mr. O'Brien if he's wrong. The Roman Catholic Mass, this sacrifice is identical with the sacrifice of the cross. Inasmuch as Jesus Christ is priest and victim in both, the only difference lies in the manner of offering, which is bloody upon the cross and bloodless on our altars. If it's bloodless, it will accomplish nothing. For without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness. So says Hebrews 9.22. Ladies and gentlemen, next week I'm going to be talking about something else here that's probably going to curl fewer hairs than maybe this one here. It's called Kwanzaa. It's the it's actually the celebration the day after Christmas. It was brought up as a well a, a an African American celebration supposedly. You know, dealing with uh, unity and uh, um, let's see here. Got a second here. Well, I've got the thing here. Unity and uh, responsibility and uh, civil rights and all this kind of nonsense. I'm going to be talking about that next week, and I hope you'll join me because I want to tell you about Mr. Ron Everett, you know, the criminal that created it, and so many people have bought into it. That's December the 29th, 2018 at 8 p.m., right here on TalkShoe. You know, Mr. O'Brien says, you know, that this Roman Catholic Mass is identical with the sacrifice of the cross, except it's bloodless, well, then it can't be identical. In fact, the priest can't be identical because it wasn't the priest that sacrificed Jesus in the first place. It is a propitiatory sacrifice, atoning for our sins and the sins of the living and of the dead in Christ and of the dead. You see, this is where the doctrine of purgatory comes into play. The Christ Mass actually helps to atone for those who have died and are suffering, you know, an eternal torment right now in purgatory. The thing is, there's no such thing as purgatory in the Bible. Once again, getting back to what Hebrew said and what the Roman Catholics had quoted, you know, earlier. And according to the law, one must almost say, all things are cleansed by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And then he goes on to say, it is appointed that a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Wants to die, then judgment commences. If you leave this world unforgiven, there is nobody that can do anything for you. 
your lot in eternity, in eternity is sealed. You will not come forth if you end up in hell, God forbid. If you end up in hell, that's where you will be for eternity. May God Almighty act in your behalf whereby you were redeemed so that you can escape that. I say God because it's not a human endeavor. We can't persuade God by our our works, whether we're doing Christmas or not. It's purely of God's grace. And certainly no Roman Catholic priest will be able to atone for you by doing a Mass for you. You hear about this every once in a while where a special Mass is being done for somebody who has slipped out into eternity. Maybe suddenly, maybe not suddenly. Maybe it was a prolonged uh, illness of some kind. And then a Roman Catholic priest is called in to do last rites. Let me tell you, if you close your eyes in death, that's your last rite. And God help you to be right. Because once it's over, it's over. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this is judgment. If Jesus hasn't done enough on the cross, as the Roman Catholics here seem to think, because they have to keep doing this Mass over and over and over, it's not going to make any difference anyway. Hell you will receive for your, for your deeds done. In fact, it'll be hell for everybody. Because there's, to me, looking through all of this, reading through all of this, to me there's nothing more disparaging, more depressing, more negative than reading through all of the stuff about Christmas. Like I said, you know, so many Christians want to spit it in a way where, oh, well, it's about Jesus' advent and so on. No, it is not. It is about Jesus not doing enough. It is about Jesus being under the authority of a sinful human being. A Roman Catholic priest in need of redemption. That's what it's about. And yet, this Roman Catholic priest, who's not even a priest at all, by biblical standards, is lording it over him. They are, you know, breaking the, the, the wafer and drinking the wine, and it really only pertains to them. Take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, grant us peace. You know, that is, to me, when I was watching that, I thought, how tragic. You know, he breaks the, the wafer. He eats it, the Roman, the other Roman Catholic priest next to him, he eats it because there was like there were four of them in this particular setting. They hand out some of the wafers to some of the people that were in the congregation where this was being videoed. Then the priest takes the wine, he drinks from this chalice, and so does the and that was it. 
They didn't pass it then. Because you see in the Roman Catholic Mass, it's different than the Roman Catholic Communion. This is about the Roman Catholic priest. But we want to say, well, you know, Christ Mass, well, this is just wonderful. It's for everybody, you know. Uh, you know, Jesus came to save the world. That's not what Christ Mass is about. The Mass was instituted at the Last Supper when Christ constituted his apostles priests after the New Testament or of the New Testament to renew the same offering until he came again by the words, do not do this in commemoration of me. That is a lie. The apostles and disciples of Jesus were not priests. In fact, the Roman Catholics have to alter the wording in the Bible in certain places to substitute priests for elders. There's a big difference between the two. You know, a priest is an intercessor. An elder is somebody who oversees. Again, Jesus is the high priest. And he is not relinquishing that office forever. All of the other high priests after the, after the order of Melchizedek or even the high priest that performed the ordinances of the Holy of Holies back in the Old Testament, they died. Jesus is not going to die. Hebrews 9.20 or 7 23 says, and the priests on the one hand existed in greater number because they were prevented by death from continuing. But verse 24, but he on the other hand abides forever. He holds his priesthood, priesthood permanently. He's not giving it to anybody else. And there is no need for an intercessor, because as Peter had talked about, there is this royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. We don't need somebody to intercede for us to have contact with God. We've been given the Holy Spirit, whereby we now can commune directly with God. You don't get that in Roman Catholicism. They think you've got to go through a Roman Catholic priest. You've got to confess your sins to him, and then he takes it to, the, to, to God and then comes back and he absolves you or whatever and gives you a bunch of Hail Marys to do and stuff like that. None of that is in the Bible. But see, this is all about Christmas again. The very thing that we keep ignoring Jesus, I mean, Christmas is not about Jesus' birth. It is all about the power of the Roman Catholic priest over Jesus. It is about discounting the things that Jesus did. Oh, we want to bring him in the mix. Because you see, we really couldn't be, well, quasi-credible. Unless Jesus was in there. I mean, if we were doing this for well, maybe some pope or a 
another religious figure, well, pre- pre- people probably wouldn't catch on to that, probably wouldn't abide by that very much. They'd say, ah, no. No, but when you bring Jesus in the mix, because Jesus is kind of a special religious figure, ah, then people, they're, they're, there's notice that takes place. And we start talking about virgin birth and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, okay, people are more ready to believe that because of whatever religious feelings they might have. The problem, though, is none of that is biblical. Theology is not about how you feel about it. Theology is ultimately guided by what God has revealed about it. And the Roman Catholic priest not only is not biblical, he has zero authority over Jesus. He can do nothing to atone for anybody's sins. He cannot order God around because ultimately Jesus is God incarnate. He can't order him down off of his throne to be sacrificed again, which is what Christmas is. And he can offer nothing by way of repentance or forgiveness for anybody. He cannot offer eternal life. He is not another Christ. In fact, Paul the Apostle talked about this very idea of another Christ. Jesus, but not in a positive way. He talked about it in terms of, well, false Christs. False Jesuses. Not the true one. If somebody comes along and preaches another Jesus, he's telling told the Corinthians. Oh, you bear you you bear this well. You put up with it. And too many people are putting up with these false Christs today. And it's leading them astray. If for no other reason, like when we're talking about Christmas, it'd make you bankrupt. So many people get wrapped up in it. It becomes the snare that I talked about earlier. No, the Roman Catholic priest can't do any of that. It only the the Christ Mass itself. When you look at it clearly, from the biblical perspective, only leads to eternal damnation. And that's something that we should be celebrating, ladies and gentlemen. We want to be celebrating eternal damnation? Called, well, we're just celebrating Jesus' birth. Really? People are going to end up in hell because of this. You want to give some people some gifts? You know, in that respect, maybe give them, maybe you want to give them a, a bucket of water or maybe a fire extinguisher instead of a 55-inch TV or an iPod. Because ultimately, that's what it's about. Christmas. I hope you've uh, learned something here. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you're welcome to write me. Paul at Capro, C-A-P-R-O dot info. Again, next week we're going to be talking about Kwanzaa kookiness. So I hope you will join me for that one. Till next time, I wish you Godspeed. Get in the Bible. You benefit greatly from it. Look forward to talking to you next week. 8 p.m. Kwanzaa Kuki.